0: He is a shark. He can sense fear if you are nervous. And thankfully, a, a team before me had gone and pitched and I was watching them and I saw Mark completely tear them to shreds just because they were a little bit nervous. So I just, you know, I, I honestly think I may have blacked out.
1: You're listening to Everyday Food and Wine, the show about innovators, creators, and Experts in the fields of food and wine. I'm Sarah Faraday, and on this episode, I sit down and chat with the owner and founder of Vino Vest, Anthony Zhang. Anthony's business career began in college when he was only 19 years old. One day, he decided to skip class to see Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks and Shark Tank Investor, and Mark Burnett, producer of Survivor, Shark Tank, and The Voice speak at USC. Anthony was lucky enough to be selected from the crowd to pitch the investors and received a partnership with Mark Cuban for his first business, Envoy Now. With Anthony's business savvy, by the age of 25, he had already built and sold two successful businesses. And then he began working on his most recent company, VinoVest. Anthony saw a gap in the investment market and that wine was consistently outperforming other alternative assets. So he wanted to develop a way to make wine investing more friendly to navigate and easily accessible. VinoVest's mission is to demystify the world of alternative assets, starting with fine wine. Anthony is also an angel investor and has been featured in NBC News. Business Insider, Fortune Magazine, USA Today, and People Magazine. Anthony and I discuss everything from pitching Shark Tank's Mark Cuban at the budding age of 19 years old to unleashing the secrets of how wine can be more than just a delicious beverage. It could also be the right investment strategy that you didn't even know existed. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me. You know, you have a really fascinating journey into the world of wine and actually don't really have a background as like a sommelier. Can you share what you were doing before launching VinoVest?
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Sarah. Of Uh, course. VinoVest is the second company I built. The first one was actually in a totally different industry. It was a food delivery app for college campuses called Envoy Now. And uh, as a freshman at USC, I had the opportunity to Pitch Mark Gubin and his executive producer, Mark Burnett, on the show. And um, on Shark I walked away with... On, yeah, on, we had an impromptu session at Shark Tank. Uh, it was actually at my school and he was a guest speaker, but we didn't know that his producer would be there too. So it became a live recording of Shark Tank on the spot. And I was one of the student teams that was picked to go pitch him and was able to end the night with a $100,000 offer for 10% of my company. Wow. wow. And that was, I think that was the moment where I realized that I wanted to to build companies for the rest of my life. I actually dropped out of college to build that company full-time, grew it to 22 markets. We had a couple hundred thousand students using the app by the time it got acquired. But after the acquisition, I was just more interested in the investing side. So I was learning more about alternative assets and one day stumbled upon a report talking about how fine wine as an asset class had outperformed the S and P, I was like, "Whoa, this is pretty crazy." I'd always had the general inkling that fine wine gets better with age, but I had no idea how much better, um, and I didn't know it was that profitable as well. So, just my curiosity overtook me and started researching. So, went from scanning a bunch of estate sales and retailers looking for rare bottles to actually going to auctions and participating in wine funds and I realized after a few years in that space that I was already spending so much time in it and I saw a lot of issues. So I was like, why not why not just build my next company in this space and be able to offer a wine investment platform for people who know nothing about wine?
1: I think it's super fascinating. It was before I even got into wine, I had no idea that it could be used as an investment tool. But I mean, it makes sense because the Availability of it just goes down with age as it's consumed. Can you explain how Vinovest works, and can anyone utilize the investment platform, or is it just for like the ultra wealthy?
0: Great question. So with Vinovest, I sought out to solve three main problems. The first is how do people pick wines for investment versus consumption. The second was cellarage. Most people don't own massive wine cellars or want to deal with keeping a wine in perfect. Temperature and humidity condition, and then the third issue was liquidity. If someone had a bottle of wine that they knew went up in value, how can they actually realize their return? So, with Vinovest, we're a platform that uses um, investing algorithms to be able to identify price trends in certain wines. We then help customers store them, fully insure them, and also actively manage them throughout their lifetime for the right time to be able to buy, sell, or enjoy themselves, and Finally, we give them access to liquidity. Um, So there's a lot of places where people are buying and selling wine every single day, you know, from importers to distributors to retailers to private collectors. But it's a really, really fragmented market um, and not a lot of public access. So we tap into all those channels and are able to give people the liquidity they want when they want to get out of their positions. And I think by solving for these barriers, you really don't need to be ultra well connected in the industry or super wealthy like previously and it really opens up this asset class to anybody
1: that's amazing so i know you mentioned to get the company started you had read an article that wines outperformed the s&p 500 uh, how does vinovest stand up like through acquiring your data through having more clients now to more traditional methods of investing in in say for example the s p 500
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So, with our Vinavest model, we've been able to create three different investment profiles. So, based on your risk, you know, if you're more conservative or moderate or aggressive, we've been able to create different models with different return profiles. And the uh, moderate and aggressive ones all outperform the S and P 500. The moderate, the conservatives meant more to be almost like the equivalent of a bond, really just working for downside protection and giving you steady returns year after year.
1: You know, due to everything that's been going on right now, we've seen some pretty big swings in the market. Would you say that wine has followed these sort of versatile trends or has it been more stable?
0: I think the best thing about wine is that it is moving at a slower pace. Whether the market's up or down, the real things that impact wine prices is you know, A, how old is this bottle of wine? It needs, you know, years, even decades to mature and get better in the bottle, Um, and also the supply. I think no matter if the market's up or down again, people are going to be drinking wine, and especially in these days of the pandemic, potentially drinking a lot more wine than they usually would have. So um, fine wine has historically been pretty stable in terms of an alternate asset class. For example, during quarter one of this year in 2020, while the S&P was down 22%, the average Vinovest investor was up 1.1% in their portfolio.
1: That's incredible. So, wine is an extremely complicated topic. So, how do you know what wine regions to invest in or selecting the right producers? Do you have wine experts that are part of the Vinovest team? Like what what does that landscape look like?
0: Yeah, wine is really complicated just because there's so many different wineries. And each vintage can be a completely different investment profile from a good year to a bad year to a year where the supply was cut in half because of the tr- uh, frost, for example. So we do use a combination of both expert insights as well as pure quantitative data modeling. Really, really fortunate to have a lot of incredible people on our team from the wine industry, from master sommeliers to beverage directors at Michelin-starred restaurants who have that knowledge of global trends in the wine world and then also a really strong quantitative team that's looking at the actual historical data to help determine undervalued opportunities.
1: So most people think that holding on to wine from like the old world, the wine regions there, such as France and Italy, will age better and therefore be a better investment naturally. Does the majority of your portfolio come from these places? Or are you seeing more stuff new world? What, what kind of data are you seeing?
0: I would say still by far and large, the old world is going to be your equivalent of like a blue chip stock, right? Like your General Motors, your Apple. They're established. They have decades, even centuries, of pricing data, and they're consistently making amazing wine. So I would say, still, you know, most of the investment-worthy wine is coming from Bordeaux, Burgundy, Rhone, Champagne, you know, Italy, Spain, even. Um, But there are a lot of up-and-coming wineries happening too, from uh, completely new regions to established winemakers leaving a big winery and opening up their own new label. So there's uh, different ways that we think of emerging uh, wines to look out for.
1: What are some of the characteristics that your Psalms look for when deciding which wines would be a good investment or where to put their focus?
0: I think a few key factors and, uh, number one is definitely the ageability and the scarcity. Um, you know, with a wine that has the potential to get better, that's why people wait. And that's why people own wine cellars. They want to make, make sure that it's at, the right point to drink and with just global consumption that f- supply becomes more and more uh, scarce and um you know being able to pick that out is something that our psalms look for and then i think another factor is just um the i'd say the brand equity of it for example um you know domain du even though they are an incredible uh burgundy producer they're Price overnight went up by 40% after being featured in a song with Jay-Z and DJ Khaled. So uh, wow. there are also you know, outside factors that can really pump things up into, into pulp culture or make it more mainstream and more known.
1: So living in California, my husband being a som, we've been to Napa, Napa several times, but most of the wine is approachable at a younger age. But I've tried a few wines with 30 plus years of age, and many of them were drinking really beautiful and could even age longer. What are your thoughts on, I, I know you said you still go more old world traditionally, but what are your thoughts on investing in, in some uh, regions in Napa?
0: Totally, I think na- there are still, you know, a lot of really, really amazing Napa producers from Screaming Eagle, Harlan Estate, Scarecrow, Opus One, Dominance, uh, Continuum, even Ridge. So there are your kind of uh, more established wineries that have really, really had, you know, decades of track record of being very, very sought after and also increasing in value pretty tremendously after 5, 10, 20 years.
1: So I know that most red wine has the potential to age longer than whites because of the higher tannin structure. But are there any whites that your somms are seeing that can stand the test of time?
0: Oh, totally. So a lot of uh, a lot of German Rieslings, um, even even French wines. So white Bordeaux's like the Oprien Blanc or the can, uh the Pavillon Blanc. Um, there's quite a few, I think, amazing wines that are created in a way that they are still very very age worthy and you know, are really, really small production made with a lot of care and have, you know, just as good aging capabilities as, as red wines.
1: That's incredible. So not speaking just to whites, but what about something specifically like champagne? I know champagne can age well, but it's re- like in really special years, right? Do you know of any iconic vintages in champagne uh, and what makes uh, vintage so important in looking Absolutely. to invest?
0: So with champagne, it's it's such a tricky thing to produce because most years they don't release a vintage. You know, the the NV on a bottle stands for non-vintage, which means they blend grapes from different years just because the quality doesn't meet their bar. Um, but when they do have a vintage year, the prices skyrocket. They're collectible, as you mentioned, for for decades and decades by these really great champagne houses, whether it be Dom, whether it be Krug or Tanger, um and I'd say recent good vintage have been uh, 08, 02, 96. Um, those have been really, really incredible ones that both from a drinking standpoint and from a price appreciation standpoint have been doing pretty incredibly.
1: So what does it look like? If somebody wanted to invest with VinoVest, what was that look like? Are you an app? Does it like How would somebody start that process? Would a SOM reach out to them? What does that look like?
0: Yeah, so... Um, all you need to do after signing up is fill out a short preference survey. So this is not about what type of wines you like. It's more about what type of investor are you. So based on how much money you feel comfortable putting in, how long you want to hold this as an asset for, um, and also your risk tolerance and a few other factors, then our investing algorithm will start looking at the market and be like, all right, these are the right wines for Sarah, for example. And um, say if you're more conservative, we're going to be giving you more of the blue chip, established wineries, and if you're more aggressive, you know we might be giving you some on premier wine futures or from up and coming regions. So we're able to slice and dice available wines and relate them back in terms of financial goals. And after that, um, it's pretty much like any sort of stock brokerage. You can check back and see your wines, how they've done over time, where they're stored, and um, be able to have control over it and buy and sell it in the future.
1: It's amazing. So, in terms of like actual wine store, you store the wine for your clients, correct? Correct. Now, sometimes I know with purchasing wines and, you know, shipment and the wine can get flawed or damaged. What sort of, you know, what sort of insurance is there for people who want to invest, but maybe they, you know, they got a flawed bottle of wine?
0: Damaged wine is. I think one of the biggest risks in this industry, because unlike a bar of gold, if you drop it, it just gets dented. Um, you know, if you leave a wine in the wrong conditions, too much light, uh, or too much humidity or wrong temperature, or say it gets, um, it gets shaken up too much in transit, those are all things that can damage the future value of the wine. So the condition and the provenance or where it came from is super, super important. That's why most of our facilities are in Europe, you know, in England and France and Italy and we store them and uh, buy them directly from the winery or through another trusted wine professional if we can. And on the insurance side, we're able to have a third party insurance carrier actually be able to a guarantee the authenticity and the condition of the wine and also in our warehouses. So say if a, uh, a hurricane hits the facility as it did uh, with hurricane Sandy, like a um, a wine storage facility lost $50 million worth of wine and they didn't have any coverage. So you know, a lot of a lot of New Yorkers, you know, were able to not get anything for their investments. Um, so we have an insurance policy that can guarantee against the full market value of your wine at any time. So if a worker drops it or if a um, vino best goes out of business or if um, a natural disaster happens, you're still protected. So think of it as the FDIC equivalent for wine.
1: I love that. And I also love that you guys store it because, you know, you're having a party, you have someone over, you know, and don't necessarily lock the wine fridge or, you know, pop the wrong bottle or just have a little too much wine and decide last minute. Oh, to yeah. A really, a really nice bottle. That's not something that you have to worry about with Vino Vest.
0: Exactly. Those are happy mistakes that I think any wine lover can relate to. Um, yeah. And, uh, I think especially if you're treating it as something you want to eventually make a return on, out of sight, out of mind is definitely a good principle to follow.
1: Yeah. And it also kind of removes like the emotional aspect of it, right? So you buy a really nice bottle of wine. But then when you actually have possession of it, it's like, oh, well, maybe I'll hold on to it for a special occasion. And then it it's not an investment anymore in the sense of you're planning on consuming it. So it kind of removes that sort of, um, I don't know, this sort of emotional connection to it almost.
0: Yeah. And I think for wine lovers, a good way to think about it is just to keep it as separate. I have, I have a cellar at home that I drink from, but I also have Something from my birth year that I want to celebrate, um, you know, with my kids or doing my future kids' birth year and something more sentimental like that. Um, but you won't need it for you know decades even. So um, it's good to have someone just make sure that it's it's all good. So and in case something happens or you need to move or leave town and or the power goes out, there's so many things to maintaining your own celebration that are pretty stressful. That um, is just better when you have something professional managing it.
1: Absolutely. What are some of your favorite wine regions in your portfolio?
0: I'd say right now, um, it it is the Bordeaux en premier season. So uh, we're getting a lot of new releases of the 2019 vintage from um, a lot of amazing producers in Bordeaux. Um, And then in um, in my personal investment portfolio, I really believe in a resurgence of champagne and in Italian wines, both you know, ones from the Piedmont region as well as Super Tuscans. Um I think France has definitely had their moment with, you know, the US fine dining scene and globally, um and I think Italian food is really going through that same transformation as well. You know, everyone's recognizing different types of pasta all of a sudden and um, you know, they want truffle on their pizza or salad or pasta and, and you know, there's nothing that goes better with Italian food than Italian wine. And that's really, really helped see a more of a global shift and people placing more value on some of the great Italian producers,
1: absolutely. So, what what would be maybe one of your most obscure bottles in your wine in one of your wine storage facilities? What's something that's just kind of off the wall?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I would say most obscure has to be uh, the Krug Clos Ambonnay. So, you know, everyone or a lot of people know the producer Krug, but uh, very rarely do they make a single vineyard champagne, like they do the Ambonnet. So that is extremely special, you know, extremely rare and sought after. They only make during certain years, comes from a tiny 2.7 acre vineyard. Um, So you can kind of imagine with how limited it is for its demand and it's considered the best of the best, you know, the equivalent of a DRC in the champagne world and these bottles, they run, you know, 3000 to $6,000 bottles, um, and they're they're certainly very special.
1: Yes, absolutely. Do you see any up-and-coming wine regions in the world, like Tanat from Uruguay or Cab Franc from the Uco Valley, Argentina, that you're considering adding as maybe a viable place for the age-worthy and investable wine?
0: I think they're definitely ones to watch. Um, with With the wine world trends, they definitely evolve pretty slowly just because People need to get used to it from a vintage to vintage standpoint. And wine just needs time naturally to be able to see if it's age worthy or not. But um, those two examples you gave definitely up and coming. Um, Oregon and Washington or even um, certain parts of Germany that are starting to make red wine are really up and coming. So it could either be an established region that's making new wine or a completely new region that's making something that's completely unique. Uh, But these are all early trends that we're spotting. I would say still too early for an investment uh, potential, but it's definitely something to look look forward to. And they're producing pretty incredible wines there too.
1: What are some of the biggest challenges you're facing right now with with you know, Vest? Would it be like educating consumers, or what? What's the kind of the biggest challenge? Would it be in marketing? Any anything like that? Getting the
0: word out. I think it is the education because. Even though most people know that fine wines get better with age, no one really knows that it is investable or how to invest or where to invest or um, even if it's right for them. So I think for us, it's all about educating people, letting them know it's something that they can actually do and not just for super wealthy people and making it a lot more accessible and easy to understand.
1: Yeah, so if we were in your wine storage facility right now and could open up any of the wines, what bottle would you select and why?
0: Ooh, that's a great, great question. <laughs> um, uh, personally, I am a big fan of Syrah, especially from Northern Rhone. So uh, probably something from the Cornas region. Um, you know, maybe with ten or twenty years of age on it. Um, that would be my my personal preference of of the moment, at least.
1: Uh, so, then just going back to the conception of Vinovest, like this, uh, you had built businesses before, and oh, I actually want to ask you, what was it like to pitch Mark Cuban at such a young age? That had to be really nerve-wracking.
0: It was because um, you know he he is a shark; he can sense fear if you are nervous, and thankfully, a, a team before me had gone and pitched. And I was watching them, and I saw Mark completely tear them to shreds just because they were a little bit nervous. So I just, you know, I, I honestly think I may have blacked out. I don't remember exactly what happened, but looking at the recording, I was definitely putting on a, a false sense of confidence and really just going toe to toe with him and not letting him bully me around.
1: Ah, that's amazing. How old were you?
0: I think I was nineteen. It was. It was. I just. I had just gotten to college.
1: And what was it like working with him? I mean, it seems like he's a very direct guy obviously, incredibly business savvy, but what's what's he like his presence like when you're working with him? Is he sort of a um you know, is he a a leader by watch what I do or is he very good at direction or what's that what was your relationship like with him?
0: I think the main thing with him that's awesome, especially given how many other companies he's invested in, is that he's always available via email. Um, even if it's a one or two word answer, he'll always answer you and very, very properly. So I think it's definitely more so a lot more autonomy, but always available.
1: And last question, when was VinoVest founded? Because it's still a relatively new company. And are there any other companies that... Uh, I mean, I don't know of anyone else that's doing this.
0: Yeah, Vunovest is still a baby. It's uh, um we were established just last year, and I think in terms of the competitive landscape, um, you know, before I found this company, I was a customer for quite a few of these companies, and um, you know, it just never really had the same ease of use as the other financial platforms I was using, um, and not really with a tech-driven or transparent angle, which I think is um, important for people who are really really busy and want to be able to control things on their own pace rather than, um, you know, kind of have a more traditional, like one-on-one client or broker model.
1: So what's your next business move with VinoVest? Where are you trying to focus a lot of the attention since it is so young, but you've grown it tremendously in such a short period of time?
0: Thank you. Uh, I think for our our goal, it's really just more content and education. Um, Most people, I think don't know much about wine when they get in here but our goal is to eventually give them enough information to empower them and so that they feel comfortable picking out wines themselves or talking about it to friends or eventually deciding when to sell or when to buy um, and developing a lot of content around that is is one of our big goals
1: absolutely well thank you so much for speaking with me about vinovest i'll be sure to put the information for how to how to create an account into the the podcast description here for people to be able to access but it is such a fascinating topic and and like you said it's been outperforming the s&p 500 and it's just a great way to diversify and and look at wine so i think it's really fantastic what you're doing
0: awesome yeah i i really hope more people can, you know, learn to look at wine and think about it in a different way. And also in terms of the financial level, I think, uh, you know, consumers today are more and more voting with what they're interested in. And, uh, you know, hopefully this can be a big part of that.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today, Anthony. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for listening. Please hit that subscribe button and share this episode with someone you know that would love it. And also stay tuned for our next episode where I sit down with the editor-in-chief and chief content officer of VinePair, Erica Ducey.